Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Again, if you have a Bible with you, please turn with me to Psalm chapter number 25. Psalm chapter 25. And it reads, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust. In you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let, me, let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Let me teach me your paths. Lead me into your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O God, is your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. God Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. And those who keep his covenant and his testimonies for your name's sake, O Lord. Pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. My troubles of heart are enlarged. Bring me out of distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O oh God, and all of its troubles. This is the word of the Sovereign Lord. Pastor and author John Piper once wrote, To wait on God means to pause and soberly consider your own inadequacy and all the Lord's all-sufficiency and to seek counsel and help from the Lord and to hope in Him. The folly of not waiting for God is that we forfeit the blessing of having God work for us. The evil of not waiting for God is we oppose God's will to exalt Himself in mercy. So today, as obviously, we're continuing to talk about this question of what it means to wait on God. What does it look like to, to wait on God? And as we talked about last week, the reason why we wait on God is really twofold. Number one, we as human beings, we don't want to wait on God because we, we hate to, to wait on God. Number two, the second reason is that in spite of the fact that we hate to wait on God, is that, that we were created by God to wait. It's in our nature to have to wait. And he certainly created us to wait on him. In fact, we were designed to wait on God. That's the reality we must face. That's the reality we must come to. We were created in, in such a way that we need to wait for God. And the foundation, the foundational reason for this is simply that 
God is everything that we are not. God is completely everything that we are not. And, and God is, is, is everything that we need. You see, the reason that we were designed to wait on God comes down to what we understand about who God is. And in light of who God is, what we understand about ourselves. As we talked about, it comes down to theology. Right? We've come to understand that God is completely sovereign and in control. That God is all good all the time. That God is all-knowing and that God always works to the best interest of His people, those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And what we understand about ourselves is that we are actually the exact opposite of that. We are not sovereign, and we are certainly not all-good, and we're not all-knowing, <laughs> and we certainly don't always work in our own best interest. In fact, oftentimes we tend to be very counterproductive and we make decisions and do all kinds of things that are, are not in our best interest. So then what, is, what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that God, in, in essence, is all-sufficient and, and we are insufficient, which means we simply need God. We simply are designed to wait on Him because we need Him. We are wholly dependent upon Him. He is eternal. We are temporal. Right? He knows all things. We don't know all things. He knows the beginning from the end. I can barely remember what I talked about yesterday in my devotional. And more than that, we are alive today by his grace and his will. The very next breath that you're going to take was ordained by God for you to have. The fact that you woke up this morning and that the rest of your family is alive and well and healthy is by God's sovereign hand. We are completely and totally 100% dependent upon him. That's what we were designed for. We were designed to wait for God. And as we discovered last week, waiting on God is not actually just about being designed that way, but ultimately, it's a spiritual discipline that really is good for us. Waiting on God actually is good for us, and it's good, so, it's good for many reasons, but I think the most important reason why it's good for us is that it glorifies God. Right? Anything that glorifies God ultimately works out for our best interest. And so we were created by God to wait on God. It's good for us. It glorifies him. And it's his will for us. It is God's will that we wait on him. And so last week what we did is we wrapped up by getting really, really practical and talking about God and waiting on him in our devotional time. And, um, and it's about how every day we need to develop this habit of not only reading the word and not only being in, spending time with God in prayer, but we need to take a few minutes and just sit silently waiting on God. Now today, we're going to jump right in here and we're going to talk about what it means to wait on God when our life changes. Because if there's a relevant topic there is to talk about, it's that one right there, right? Because life changes, because it has. I mean, right now, I am here in the sanctuary and the worship team, as you saw, is here with us. But everyone else... Everyone else is at home. You're at home right now watching online. Why? Because everything has changed. Right? If you would have told me in January that this is where we would be right now, I would think that maybe you spent your time way too much on the internet with a tinfoil hat on. I really would think that. Right? But, but here we are. Right? Here we are in this moment. The world has completely changed. And not just a little bit, but in radical ways. It's changed our vocabulary, like social distancing. That was not even a phrase that people talked about. That wasn't even a phrase that people even used, social distancing, until this happened. The world has changed. And as we are going to talk about, what well, we need to wait on God during these times. And we're going to talk about why and, and how, right? 
The fact of the matter is there are big changes in our lives like now. Let's face it, even COVID-19 was super life-changing. I mean, if there's anything that you can count on in life is that things change. Everything changes. Our lives are constantly changing. Your life is not exactly the same today as it was yesterday. You're not the same person that you were 10 years ago. Think about who you were and what you were doing. Every part of your life changes. Your family is changing as your family ages and as your family matures. Your relationships change because the people that are in all of your relationships are changing. Your body's changing. (laughs) Not always for the better. The fact of the matter is, is all of us, every minute that goes by, are getting older. You might not see it this moment, but five years from now, you will see it. Not to mention, right, how and what you think changes. What you think and how you think changes all the time. I mean, think about this. We think about this virus, this coronavirus, completely differently than we did three months ago. The world around us is changing. The economy is changing. The government is changing in I'm not even sure that's for the best. Our culture is changing, right? And all of those changes affect you in in your life. Education is changing. Right now, my heart goes out to all of the kids in this community, and especially the kids in my youth group. I just want to give a, you know, just say hi to those guys and let you know that my heart is with you because you didn't sign up for this, to have to sit here at home and do homework, right? And, and to have this long-distance relationship with your teacher that you saw every day. And to have this barrier. We can't just pick up, we can't just go talk to them. They just give you this homework packet and expect for you to be able to do the work. Right? And, and, and even then, your relationship with your parents has changed because of it. Because they're trying to tell you to get your work done. And you're like, this is like, this is terrible. Like, I can't figure this out. So I want you to know, you guys, my heart is with you. It's been a rough change, but the fact of the matter is, is, is this is an indication that everything changes. Everything in and around your life is in a constant cha- state of change. And we see it more, I think, right now than before because it, the change was so fast. And most of the things that change in our life ultimately re- in reality are beyond our control. Right? Because you, as we have been talking about over and over again, you're not sovereign. You're not in control. Because you're not God. But oftentimes there are, there are parts of life, there are life changes that we face that even though we don't control all the circumstances, there are some elements that are within the realm of our control or at least within the realm of our influence. We come face to face with the fact that things are changing or something needs to change and we have the ability to influence or, or at least direct that change or at least to respond to the change. For instance, how... how we have responded to COVID-19. We've had to respond to it. We've had to make decisions on, on how to respond. We've, you know, how do we do church? I mean, there have been a lot of decisions that have been made to this point to get us here, right? How are we going to live the quarantine life? All of you have had to make those decisions. How do you plan to get back to normal? That's the next set of decisions we're going to have to make. We don't control or, you know, the, the change that's happening around us, but we certainly can control our response to that change. How does waiting on God then influence how we respond to change? Like when we face big decisions that we need to make. We all have different points in our life where we have to make big decisions, right? We all know that the things will change as a result. Do I buy this house? Do I get this job? Do I change jobs? Do I confront him? Or do I just let it go? Do, do I 
You know, do chemotherapy or do I just take my chances? Do I wear the mask everywhere I go or do I not? Do I have to stay, do I stay locked up in my house or do I go and visit that friend that I know is lonely? Do I stay in this relationship? Do I leave? Sometimes we face really big decisions that will change things and have huge consequences in our lives. And we, we and the way we make decisions, we may make these decisions but we don't ultimately control the consequences. And, and sometimes we face unforeseen circumstances in our lives, like now. Sometimes things just pop up on our radar. Sometimes there are just things that we have to deal with. You don't make a decision for it. It just, it just happens to you or around you, like, like cancer. You know, the death of a loved one, a car accident, a change in the economy that affects your job. How about the unforeseen circumstance of people that you trust and you love who, who, that you're depending on letting you down? Maybe it's your coworker. Maybe it's your best friend. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's one of your kids. At any time, at any moment, we face unforeseen circumstances, and they can have a huge impact on our, our lives. Like, again, this virus. We don't control the circumstances, but we still try to control our response. And sometimes we face in those things, unexpected opportunities. Sometimes when, when things change, there are opportunities that we wouldn't normally have. Unforeseen circumstances are not always bad or not altogether bad. Sometimes the, the circumstance is bad, but then there are benefits. Sometimes we have great opportunities. Maybe like, like it's a raise. Maybe it's another job or getting a refund. Maybe you get a chance to do something that you wouldn't normally get to do because circumstances have changed. Like right now, live streaming this sermon. This is an opportunity right now that we would just not would have had. And what we've realized is we can reach more people than ever before. And our outreach has grown. And to be honest, right, this was not something that I, I wanted to do. This is not something that, that was on my radar that I really wanted to pursue. I had some strong feelings against it. But the fact of the matter is, is this Current circumstance has given us an opportunity to pursue this and really see some things we wouldn't have normally seen. And sometimes these unexpected opportunities are really, really simple. And sometimes they require, you know, sacrifice. Sometimes these opportunities come with great risk, maybe a really big risk. And sometimes the opportunities have the ability to change the entire trajectory of your life. And as a result, you have, you have big decisions to make. How do you make those decisions? There are just times that we face the fact that also our plans might need to change. <laughs> we have goals. We have directions in our life. We have dreams. We have visions. We have plans. We have a vision of how we want things to be. I'm going to tell you, 2020, I had a picture of what it was supposed to look like, and it has changed. Right? When the circumstance change, opportunities change, life changes, we discover the direction that we're going isn't going to work. Right? And it isn't right for us anymore. We have to make decisions to reevaluate everything that we're doing. And that's where we are right now. We're reevaluating everything because, because changing our plans really impacts everyone else. One of the things that, I, that this change that has impacted people is an interesting phenomenon that's happened is suddenly people who don't want to talk on the phone will talk on the phone longer. I have had more phone conversations that have lasted longer because people just want to talk because they can't talk face to face. They can't gather together. It changes the way we have to do things. And there's still changes we might have to make here and now. 
There's also times when we have to face the fact that there are just changes we need to make in our lives. There are changes at times we have to make. There are changes that we, that we know, right, that we know that we need to make. Changes that we struggle to make. Like addiction. That's a change that those who are addicted need to make. Forgiveness. Whew. That's a tough one that a lot of people need to make. Budgeting. <laughs> Dieting. How about confessing your sins or, or changing a job so you can spend more time with your family and not be a workaholic? There are changes in our lives that we need to make and changes that we are struggling with. And with all of these things and with all of these different types of changes and all these different facets of opportunities, it is easy for us, I believe, it is super easy for us to get into a place where we become very self-sufficient where we decide that we can do it. It's easy for us to walk in our own strength. There's just something in all of us that I think is just hardwired to try to lean on our understanding. We want to lean on our own knowledge bank. We want to lean on our own experience. We want to lean on what we think is right. And the fact of the matter is, is I think we all of us typically think of ourselves, generically in general, as decent human beings, we think of ourselves as, you know, moderately, you know, averagely intelligent. In fact, the average person thinks that they're above average in intelligence, but that's a whole different issue. But the fact of the matter is we all see ourselves as intelligent creatures capable of making rational decisions. We're capable of making our own choices. The fact of the matter is we tend to believe that we are smart enough to figure things out on our own. And there's enough experience in life to kind of validate that at least a little bit. And let's be honest, there's usually, like, we like to think about ourselves, at least subconsciously, like, as someone who can make their own choices. And, and if there's a reoccurring flaw in, in Christians today, including this one that's talking, is the innate sense that we can walk in our own strength, that we can walk in our own abilities, that we can do it ourselves, we got this. For that somehow, that the only thing that God is there for is the big things, right? Like when we get in trouble. <laughs> then we, you know, are looking to God. But everything else I think we can handle. Everything else we, we have. We, we try to walk in our own strength. But there are three Bible verses I just want to share with you, remind you of really, really quick, that should change your perspective or at least make you think twice about those things and how we approach um, the changes in our lives, both the big ones and the little ones. And the first one is, is Proverbs 16, 9. It says, the heart of a man plans his way, and the Lord establishes his steps. <laughs> Let us never forget that God is the one who's in control. It's easy in our daily lives to forget that we are completely dependent upon God for everything. We have this sense that we are autonomous creatures that are just kind of on our own. And it's actually, you know, it's actually easy for us to think that we're in control of things. So we should acknowledge him and, and make all of our decisions based on him, all of them. The second verse to remember is Proverbs 14, chapter, chapter 12. There's a way that seems right to the man, but its end is the way of death. <laughs> Let's just face it. I've said this before and I'll say it again. You're not in control. You're not all-knowing. You're not as smart as you think that you are. And, and, and let's be truthful, even the best, with the best information that you've had, you and I are still capable of making some bad decisions. 
with, with all the latest information, with all the best information we can muster, even then, we can still make choices that are harmful to us right? and everyone else around us, which leads to then um, the third verse, which is Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Ultimately, we need to lean on God. We need to trust in him. We need to acknowledge God in everything that we do and in every single decision that we make and every circumstance that changes and every opportunity we face. And we need to trust in him to show us the way. If, and he will if we will just wait for him. Now, the question that we begin to talk about last week that we're going to really jump right in here is, how do we, how do, we do that? What does that even look like? I mean, I mean, we know that we need to wait on God. We're convinced of the fact that we need to wait on God. We know that he's in control of everything, right? And we know that it's good for us to wait on him. So how do we do that? What does it look like to actively wait on God? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. And let me just be right up front with you. What we're going to talk about is not some checklist, <laughs> I'm not going to give you six steps or, or ten steps of the way that you need to wait on God. It's not like some activity sheet that I'm going to give you. We're not talking about, you know, step one, close your eyes. Step two, pray. You know, that's, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about today is we're going to the scripture and we're looking at the principles that God himself gives to us. His word teaches us, right, the things that he's telling us to do to wait on him. And what we're going to look at today, it's not an exhaustive or comprehensive list. I mean, because the Bible is inexhaustible, right? But what we're going to look at today is Psalm 25, because there's, there's five, I believe, excellent principles in this text. Five practical principles that we need to learn and apply to our lives that will help us to wait on God in a way that honors Him and then ultimately is good for us. And these principles will help us to have a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. And it will help us in every part of our lives. Now, to set this up, let's look at Psalm 25 once again. And then we'll take, uh, take it apart and look at the principles. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truths. Teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, your steadfast love, for you have been, you have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me. For the sake of your, your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs the sinners in his way. He leads the humble in the way in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. And those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For, though, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, 
and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not put to shame, for I take refuge in you. Make, may integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of his troubles. Of this particular psalm right here, the author and pastor John MacArthur notes this. He says, David grapples with the heavy issues of life, avoiding denial and affirming dependence. He must trust in God in the face of his troubles and troublemakers. Or in other words, what David deals with here are the issues of depending on ourselves or depending upon God. Depending upon ourselves or depending on God when we face changing circumstances in life. And what we find in this psalm is that David comes to terms with completely giving himself completely and totally over to God and trusting in him and waiting on the Lord for direction and salvation. In fact, verse number three, the promise of the entire psalm is this. The promise of this psalm is, is uh, indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. That's the promise. If you wait on God, you will not be put to shame, which is exactly, I think, what we all want. We, we don't want to be put to shame. We don't want to make a choice or react to circumstances or jump on an opportunity that will cause us grief. We, we don't want to make a gigantic mistake. We don't want to make our lives worse by our choices. We don't want to look like idiots in haste by the way that we react to something. We don't want to be put to shame. We want to make good choices. We want to do what's right. We want to react the way that is good for us and good for our families. And if we're Christians, we want to make choices in a way that honors God. We want to make choices to be proud of, not something to be ashamed of. And the promise here is that those who wait on God will not be put to shame. Now, when, we're, when we say waiting on God, we're not talking about ignoring our problems. I think that's, that's one of the things we have to really, really get clear we're not talking about ignoring our problems and just hoping that God's going to magically show up and solve all of them. And we're not talking about ever, not ever making decisions. What we're talking about is actively, actively waiting on God, actively seeking his counsel, actively seeking God's help, actively engaging him, actively seeking him out and his will. Waiting on God is an active exercise. It's not passive. And that's the thing that we see in this text. That's what we see throughout this scripture. In this text, there are five principles on how to actively wait on God. And the first principle is the principle of devotion. The principle of devotion is where you wholly devote yourself into the hands of God. It is where, is where we completely place our trust totally on Him. It is where we completely place our dependence in Him. We actively depend on Him. Notice in verse 1 and 2 it reads, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. David declares to God that he completely trusts Him and that he's completely in God's hand. Verse 15 says, my eyes are ever toward the Lord, for, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. 
David says that his eyes and his attention are fixed on God. Not his problems. His eyes and attention are fixed on God. I'm not worried about my troubles. I'm not, I'm not trying to solve my own problems and my own strength. I'm keeping my eyes and my mind and my heart fixed upon God and trust that he is going to rescue me. And then in verse 20 it says, Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. You see, David focuses on God because he knows where his safety is. He knows where his refuge is. He knows where to go when things are hard. He knows where to turn. And he turns himself to God and he devotes himself to that, to him. And and these verses, what we see is that David recognizes his own limitations and his own need. And he turns himself wholly into the hand of God. And he completely devotes himself to God's sovereignty. I'm going to tell you right now, of all the things that I talk about today, if this is the one thing you remember and apply to your life, it'll change everything. If you come to the place where your life is focused and devoted on God in all the circumstances of your life, that every decision is made thinking of Him first, looking for His counsel first, trusting in Him first, it'll change everything about your life in a way that you couldn't even possibly imagine. If we're going to wait on God, we need to devote ourselves to Him wholly. That's the first principle. Now, the second principle is the principle of fearing God. And the idea of fearing God is something that is really almost lost in our culture. To our detriment, actually. I'm not talking about the kind of fear that a person feels when they're about to face a life and death surgery. I'm not talking about the fear a person feels when when they lose their job and not sure how to to pay their bills. I'm not talking about the fear that's portrayed in the movies when when this when the monster jumps out of the dark and grabs a hold of someone's ankle, right? I'm not even talking about the fear of catching COVID. I'm talking about the I'm talking about the reverential awe and respect fear of God. That sense of awe and majesty that a person gets when, when they're near God and they actually understand who he is. And the thing is, I want you to think with me just for a second. If we were just to go outside, which I think is almost prohibited, but if we were to all go outside and stand out there and someone all by themselves flew over in a, in a, in a jet plane because not many people are flying nowadays, but if they were to fly over at 30,000 feet... At that moment, you're invisible to them. They can look down on the exact spot that you are, and they will not be able to see you. They cannot see you. You're not even a speck on the earth to them at 30,000 feet. That that is how small you are compared to the size of the earth. Now, with that, the earth itself, if you were to view it on the outside of the solar system, would barely itself be a speck because the planet we live in is small by comparison to the solar system. And our solar system itself is, again, a speck in our galaxy. And our galaxy isn't even a speck inside the cluster of galaxies that that our galaxy is a part of. And even that's a minuscule, invisible part of the entire universe, 96 billion light years across. If you were to stand outside of that, you couldn't even pinpoint or see where our cluster of galaxies would be. Now, given that context... Compared to the universe, we're nothing. Compared to that, that awesome, sheer size, you're nothing. And think about this. The God that we worship is outside of that universe. 
I don't know if you can spend enough time thinking about this, right? The God that we worship is outside of that universe and everywhere present in the universe. That God is greater and bigger than the entire universe and infinitely so. Compared to God, the universe itself isn't even a speck. And this is the God that created the universe and everything in it, including you. To say that God is the most powerful being that's ever existed is to not even like approach what it means to say that that's an understatement. Right? He is so powerful, we can't even, not even for a second, fathom it. And this God controls every detail of the universe down to every molecule in the vast expanse that we look at by his command. And if he desired to, he could make it all disappear like that, by flip, like, like flipping a light switch off. And you, individually, you are in his hand. The last breath that you just took without even thinking about it, was given to you by his divine will. And it'll be that way with your next breath and the next breath and the next breath. And if you wanted to, he could make you stop breathing right now. He could take your life right now and not anybody, not you, not anyone could do anything about it. He could make you vanish right now and erase the memory of you out of everyone's mind like you never even existed. God is... God has the power to change everything in your life in a second. And then on top of that, he knows everything there is to know about you. <laughs> he knows everything that you have ever thought, ever done. He knows your inward thoughts. Right? And remember, he's completely sovereign and in control over everything. Your beating heart, the breeze that's outside right now, the movement of the planets, even the spread of this virus, and, and everything that will happen tomorrow, and everything that will happen all the way through eternity is within God's control. Again, God's power is so awesome, which is an understatement of awesome proportion. And that God has invited you into an up-close personal relationship with Him. And, And not only that, if you put your trust in Him, that God lives inside of you. Intimately connected to you. Now, just let that thought soak in again. I think we need to be reminded of this all the time. The creator of all things dwells inside of you if you're in Christ. The greatest power in the universe dwells inside of you as a Christian. Your body, as, a, as the, the, the scriptures tell us, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That by itself should cause you to stand in absolute awe. That should move your heart to deep reverence and respect. That should move your spirit to worship God with with trembling hands, knowing how broken you are and how perfect he is. This God, beyond your imagination, has made his dwelling place within you. Holy, righteous God, all-powerful and mighty, glorious, majestic God, the God of love and the God of justice, the God of deep compassion and the God of terrible wrath. That is the God that you live in the presence of every single day of your life. Every moment of your life is recorded by Him. And the right response then for us who know Him is to reverence him in fear and respect. Look how David said what he says here. Who is the man who, f- who 
who fears the Lord. Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to him his covenant. The proper relationship with God is built on a reverential fear of him. And the fact of the matter is, if your theology is correct, that's the way it should be. I mean, if we really understand who God is, and we understand in light of who he is, who we are, then we will fear him and reverence him. And an important part of waiting on God and seeking his counsel when when life changes is to grow and have that robust understanding of God. That understanding that leads us to deep awe and respect and reverence. An important part of waiting on God is is understanding him enough to live in holy reverential fear of him. This right here, my friends, is why theology is so important. That's why theology matters. You will never stand in awe. You will never reverence a God that you don't know anything about. That's why so many people today, that's why so many people in the church today just don't have reverence for God. That's why so many people think that God is just their friend. And believe me, I want you to understand, God is your friend because he calls you friend, not because you earned the right to be. Some people believe that God is just the cosmic butler there just waiting for you to ask him what you need. I've even heard people say, and, and, and I understand the thought, but it just really sets, doesn't set well with me. But I've heard people say, yeah, God's my homeboy. Whew, I just don't know if I would say it that way. God, for many people, is reduced down to this casual relationship that they have that's similar with just everybody else, just the other people that they have in their lives, other people that they would just hang out and party with. That's their view of who God is. And for many in the church, God is just this benign deity who is just loving and never gets upset about anything and never holds anybody accountable. The reason why people don't have a reverential fear of God is because they have a flawed theology of who he is. That's just the truth. They don't know him. But if we truly understand who God is in his full glory and all of his attributes, we will reverence him. If we understand him the way, right, the way that he, he is to be understood, we will stand in awe of him and we will reverence him in fear and we will, we will glory in his grace upon us. And the Bible tells us that, if, if, that this, if this is our attitude toward him, that's what he says right here, if, if our attitude like this, if we stand in fear of him, he will instruct us to make decisions. He will guide us in the way that we should go. That's the promise of the text here. That's the second principle. The third principle is the principle of humility, which I think should naturally follow, right? If we understand who God is and we have a reverential fear of God, if we understand who we are in light of who he is, then the natural response to that should be what? Humility. And the Bible, it tells us, right? He leads the humble. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. I think that's as clear as it can get, right? When our theology is correct, we will fear God, and we will also then, likewise, walk in humility. And when we do that, the Bible tells us He leads us into what is right. He will teach us His way. And so an important way for waiting on on God is humility, which means we need to keep a proper perspective of who we are, which, again, is we've already outlined. We're not sovereign and in control. (laughs) 
we're not all good. And I really hope that you kind of like settle that in your heart. We're not all knowing. And we don't always make the best decisions. And we're a speck in the universe. And on top of that, we're wholly dependent upon God that we can't even imagine for everything. And that knowledge should humble us and drive us to our knees in prayer and seek God's counsel and leadership when all of our life changes. In every decision, in every possible scenario, we should be seeking his counsel humbly. And then principle number four is is to be teachable. It's the principle of teachability. I think this is the one I can struggle with. Because sometimes I don't, I'd like to know, I think I know the answers. Somebody wants to tell me something new. I'm like, I know, I got that. Right? This right here comes on the heels of being humble. We must be teachable. We must be willing to learn. We must be willing to take instruction. David says, make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. We need to be willing to be taught. We need to be willing to, open, to be open to the Lord and for him to make known his ways to us. We need to, we need to, open God, we need to be open to God's counsel and his divine wisdom. We need to be teachable enough to wait for God. And let me ask you a question. Are you teachable? Are you submitting yourself to God in a way that where you can be taught? Because how does God teach us? How how does he actually instruct us? Well, the truth is God teaches us primarily through his word. That's how he teaches us. Now, you can say he teaches us through the Holy Spirit, which is absolutely true. But even the Holy Spirit primarily guides us as we read the word and listen to the word and confirms for us what the word is telling us. God teaches us primarily through his word. Because let's be clear. There are no new revelations. There's not a new teaching. There's not any additional books to the Bible at all. None. Right? There are no new apostles. There are no new prophets. God teaches us primarily through his all-sufficient word, as we call it, sufficient. Now, I want you to think about this. If you have a life-altering decision to make, and you go to God to pray, God, show me your way. God, please lead me. But at the same time, you really don't feel the need to spend time with God in his word, learning from him. Is that really the wisest thing? My friends, that's not teachable, by the way. (laughs) I don't want to offend anybody, but that's that's ignorant. It's like saying, hey, God, please show me your will, but I don't want to read that book you've given me that shows me your will. You know what I mean? The fact of the matter is, is if we're going to depend upon God to guide us, we need to humble ourselves to be teachable, which means we need to read the Bible. We need to read the Word. We We need to study it, not occasionally, not like once in a while when our hearts get heavy, but every day. It needs to be a part of a life every day. You need to, I, I don't know. I mean, I've said this probably a thousand times now since I'm a pastor, but I'll say it again. You need to be in the Bible every day. You need to read the Word every day. You need to study the Bible every day. You need to meditate on what God's telling you every day. Right? And, and let's just be honest. I mean, I've heard them all. I've heard all the excuses. I've been doing this long enough that no one, there's not a new excuse under the sun. I'm not a reader. I just don't have enough time. I just don't understand what I'm reading. Reading puts me to sleep. Right? But understand, 
That's just, those are just excuses. Is God important enough for you to seek out? I mean, is he important enough? Are you willing to learn from God himself? It's that simple. Is God important enough in your life to seek him out? I just did another podcast interview with, uh, with someone about the book. And it's just one of the things is they always ask me, what, what about this, you know, why this appointment? I said, the appointment with God that you're supposed to make is because I know for a fact that there are things in your life that you will do that are important enough to you that you will make an appointment to go do them. <laughs> like you will go to the doctor's appointment and the dentist appointment and your tax appointment and your dog groomer's appointment and your oil changing appointment and your appointment to take your car to the dealer to get something fixed on it, right? The point being is if God's important enough, you'll make time for that to be a priority. If it's important enough, you then will be teachable and you can learn from God and he will give you the direction you need to change your life. And then principle number five, the final one I want to talk about is the principle of personal holiness. Because think about this. How does it make sense for you to seek God's counsel and his will and direction in your life if you are unwilling to walk in the holiness that God is calling you to and made manifest that it is, your, that is his will for your life? How does it make sense to seek God's will over here when you won't actually follow through on the will that you know for a fact is, is your will for, for, for your life? How does that make sense? Because let me be straight with you. You want to know what God's will for your life is? I know what it is. Right? I, mean, I don't know what, what he wants you to, to, where he wants you to live, but I pretty much generically know what God's will for your life is. It's not a mystery to me. God wants you to repent and believe the gospel. That's his will for your life. And God wants you to trust in Christ. And he wants you to spend time with him daily in prayer, in the word, waiting on him. That's his will for your life. And he wants you to confess your sin. And he wants you to repent of that sin. And he wants you to walk in personal holiness. That's what he wants for your life. That, if you want to know what God's will for, his, for your life is, that's it. Right? But everybody wants to know, hey, God, is it, you know, is it your will for my life that I date this person? Is it your will for my life that I you know, get this brand new car? I'm going to tell you right now, those are more subjective questions, but the objective ones are these. Now, make no mistake about it, right? right? There's a lot more to God's will for your life than these things, but, it, but this right here is his will for your life. He wants you to walk in personal holiness. And I promise you, if you will do that, if you will follow God's will that he reveals in his word, God will give you the direction in your life for everything else, regardless of what life brings your way. If you are really seeking him, and seeking his will to live in personal holiness, he will give you clarity you've never had before. The fact is, as Christ followers, we need to take seriously the truth that God calls us to walk in personal holiness. Again, we're told in the word of God to be holy as God is holy. Again, I don't think, how, I don't think it can be any clearer than that. Now understand, I'm not saying that we need to be holy and, and, and follow the rules so that we can be saved. Because when I start talking about holiness, people automatically go, wait a minute, we're saved by grace. I know. I preach on that all the time. I'm not saying that we walk in holiness to make God love us, right? Your personal holiness doesn't save you. It never has and never will. Because the fact of the matter is, is as we're told in Ephesians chapter 2, you're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. It's not by your works. It is, it's a gift from God. Your relationship with God is not about your merit because you could never do anything enough. You could never deserve it enough. You could never earn God's love enough. 
You were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the bottom line, and I will preach that all the time. But the fact is, right? But the fact is, God may accept you just as you are right now, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. The truth is that if you are regenerated and you are truly drawn to God into his awesome presence... If you're truly saved and he dwells within you, the power of the Holy Spirit dwells in you, your life will change by his power. Your desires will change. Your affections will change. You'll begin to love the things that God loves and you'll begin to hate the things that God hates. And let me tell you what God loves. God loves holiness. And I can tell you what he hates. He hates sin and he hates unholiness. And if we truly belong to God, if we truly follow him, our affections and our desires will begin to change like God's. Not that we're going to be perfect, but they will begin to change. And we'll begin to desire in our own lives holiness. And the truth is, if we're going to seek God's direction in our lives, if we're going to wait for him to guide us and to lead us and give us direction, we need to take personal holiness seriously. In fact, I want you to see what David says here. I said all that to set up what David's saying here. In verse 10, he says, All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Personal holiness is rewarded by God. Those who are obedient. Right? God shows favor to those who obey. Understand that. The fact is that personal holiness is always in your best interest anyway. Verse 21, he says, my, may integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on you. David is saying, I, as I wait for you, may my, the, the integrity that I'm, I'm walking in and the uprightness that I'm walking in be the thing that protects me. May my obedience be a blessing. It is a blessing from God. You see, the connection here, there is a connection between waiting on God to guide us and to navigate our life and the commitment to personal holiness. One goes with the other. Like I said, why would we seek God's will if we don't want to do the things that God has already told us he wants us to do to start with? The fact of the matter is that we need to cultivate in our lives a desire, a real desire for personal holiness. If we're going to be led by God, if we're going to wait upon God to give us direction, if we're going to entrust ourselves into the hand of this sovereign Lord for the future and to build our lives on, we need to have a passion for the holiness of God. Now, how, how do we walk in personal holiness, though? I mean, am I going to give you now a list of rules? Right? Here's the checklist of things. You better not do this, and you better start. Right? Well, the good news is no. The good news, as always, is the answer is always the same. From the beginning to the end, the answer is repent and believe the gospel. That's the same answer. We begin our relationship with God through repentance and faith, and we continue to walk with Him in holiness the exact same way. When we encounter sin in our lives, when we encounter that unholiness in us, we turn away from it, and we change our attitude about it, and we turn towards Christ in childlike dependence and faith. We turn to God and say, Lord, I need you to change me. I'm depending on you to change my heart. I need you to change my attitude. Give me the ability to walk away from this sin and walk in your holiness. The entire Christian life is always the same. It's a continual walk in repentance in faith. That's how we're justified, and that's how by the Holy Spirit we're sanctified. That's how we walk in holiness. We turn from sin, and we turn towards Christ in faith. 
And so when we fail and we fall down on our faces, we trust in God's grace and we continue to repent and believe. That's how we walk in holiness. That is how we wait on the Lord to give us direction. You see, waiting on God when it comes to life changes isn't simply this passive activity. We don't sit and just stare at Facebook all day long going, I'm waiting on the Lord. We, we don't sit around waiting for God to tell us what to do. We practice the principles of devotion, the principle of fear of the Lord. We actively walk in humility and teachability and in personal holiness. We devote ourselves to Him wholly. We worship Him in reverential awe that He deserves. We, in humility, seek His wisdom as children And we listen carefully to him by being teachable. And we remove the barriers in our lives between us and him that we put in the way by practicing personal holiness. That is what it looks like, according to the word of God, to wait on him when our lives change. Now, the question that you have to ask yourself is simply this. (laughs) Will you be a doer of the word or will you simply be a hearer only? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word and this truth. How you give us the ability to wait on you. How you, Lord God, have given us the wisdom to wait on you. And your word gives us the principles of how we are to do that, Lord. And Father, I just pray that all of us would walk in that. I pray, Lord, all of us, Lord, would take this seriously. That, Father, that we would come before you this way that we would stand in in reverential fear of you, that we would adore you, Lord, that we'd be humble, that we'd be teachable, that we'd walk in holiness, Lord, that we'd make you the center of our lives, that we'd devote ourselves wholly to you, Lord. Father, if there's one thing that we could just do, if we could just take that one thing, all of us right now, devote ourselves wholly into your hand, Father, it would change the world. Father, I pray you grant us that, that we would devote ourselves that way and that you would renew our minds, Lord God, enough so we can see you for who you really are, how you've revealed yourself to us, Lord, that we would stand in awe every single day that you woke us up one more day. The God who created this universe graciously gave us another day to live and that we would stand in, gra- in gratitude and in awe of that, Lord. That somehow, way, you decided to have a relationship with broken sinners like us, Lord. Father, I pray that you would move our hearts this way. And I pray right now, Lord God, that you would work a miracle in our midst. That you, Lord God, would bring this reign of terror of this virus to an end, Lord. That you would restore our country. You would restore our community. You would restore our church family. That, Father, we thank you for the technology that has allowed us to reach further out. But, Lord, we are desiring more than ever to be together in one place with one voice to lift up our hearts and minds to you and to worship you in spirit and in truth, just as you have called us to. And that through this, Lord, that let us not become complacent with the technology, thinking that somehow that this is, is a substitute for worship, Lord, it is, it is a necessary substitute under the circumstances, but it is not permanent. That your desire is for your people to gather together in your name. 
And I'm praying, Lord God, that soon, that soon, Lord God, that we would be able to do that right here in this building and that churches across all of our country would be able to do the same because we need you. Your people need you and they need each other. And so, Father, I pray that you'd be glorified in all that we say and all that we do. And I pray, Father God, that you'd help us, Lord God, to wait on you in a way that's good for us and glorious in your sight, Lord. We give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You are loved, you are prayed for, and you are deeply missed. We will see you soon. Grace and peace. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.